Volume Two, Chapter Eight of *The Smuggler* by George Payne Rainsford James. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Eight. We left our friend Mr. Mole in no very pleasant situation, for although the generosity of the major in neither divulging the discovery he had made to the rest of the smugglers nor blowing the brains of the intruder out upon the spot was perhaps much more than could be expected from a man in his situation and of his habits yet it afforded no guarantee whatsoever to the unfortunate custom-house officer that his life would not be sacrificed on the very first danger or alarm he also knew that if such an accident were to happen again as that which had at first displayed his features to one of those into whose nocturnal counsels he had intruded nothing on earth could save him for amongst the gang by whom he was surrounded were a number of men who had sworn to shed his blood on the very first opportunity he walked along therefore as the reader may well conceive with the feeling of a knife continually at his throat and a long and weary march it seemed to him as proceeding by tortuous ways and zigzag paths the smugglers descended into romney marsh and advanced rapidly towards dimchurch mole was perhaps as brave and daring a man as any that ever existed but still the sensation of impending death can never be very pleasant to a person in strong health and well contented with the earth on which he is placed and mole felt all the disagreeable points in his situation exactly as any other man would do it would not be just to him however were we not to state that many other considerations crossed his mind besides that of his own personal safety the first of these was his duty to the department of government which he served and many a plan suggested itself for making his escape here or there in which he regarded the apprehension of the smugglers and the seizure of the goods that they were going to escort into the country fully as much as his own life his friend the major however took means to frustrate all such plans and seemed equally careful to prevent mr mole from effecting his object and to guard against his being discovered by the other smugglers at every turn and corner at the crossing of every stream or cut the major was by his side and yet once or twice he whispered a caution to him to keep out of the way of the lights more especially as they approached dimchurch when they came near the shore and a number of men with lanterns issued forth to aid them from their various cottages in the vicinity he told mole to keep back with one party consisting of hands brought out of sussex who were stationed in the rear with a troop of the horses but at the same time mole heard his compassionate friend direct two of the men to keep a sharp eye upon him as he was a stranger of whom the leaders were not quite sure adding an injunction to blow his brains out at once if he made the slightest movement without orders in the bustle and confusion which ensued during the landing of the smuggled goods and the loading of the horses mole once or twice encouraged a hope that something would favour his escape but the two men strictly obeyed the orders they had received remained close to his side during more than an hour and a half which was consumed upon the beach and never left him till he was rejoined by the major who told him to march on with the rest 
"'What's to come of this?' thought Mole as he proceeded. "'And what can the fellow intend to do with me? "'If he drags me along with them till daylight, "'one half of them will know me, and then the game's up. "'And yet he can't mean me harm either. "'Well, I may have an opportunity of repaying him some day.' "'When the party arrived at Bonington, however, "'and, as we have already stated, two small bodies were sent off to the right and left "'to reconnoitre the ground on either side,' Mole was one of those selected by the Major to accompany him on the side of Bilsington. But after having gone to the prescribed distance, without discovering anything to create suspicion, the worthy field officer gave the order to return, and contriving to disentangle Mole from the rest, he whispered in his ear, "'Off with you as fast as you can, and take back by the marsh, for if you give the least information or bring the soldiers upon us,' "'Be sure that some of us will find means to cut your throat. "'Get on, get on fast,' he continued aloud to the other men. "'We've no time to lose.' "'And Mole, taking advantage of the hurry and confusion of the moment, "'ran off towards Bilsington as fast as his legs could carry him. "'He's off!' cried one of the men. "'Shall I give him a shot?' "'No, no,' answered the Major. "'It will only make more row. "'He's more frightened than treacherous, I believe.' "'I don't think you'll peach.' "'Thus saying, he rejoined the main body of the smugglers, as we have seen, "'and Mole hurried on his way without pause, running till he was quite out of breath. "'Now the Major, in his parting speech to Mole, though a shrewd man, "'had miscalculated his course, and mistaken the person with whom he had to deal. "'Had he put it to the custom-house officer as a matter of honour and generosity?' not to inform against the person who had saved his life, poor Mole would have been in a situation of great perplexity. But the threat which had been used relieved him of half the difficulty. Not that he did not feel a repugnance to the task which duty pointed out, not that he did not ask himself, as soon as he had a moment to think of anything, what ought I to do? How ought I to act? But still the answer was that his duty and his oath required him immediately to take steps for the pursuit and capture of the smugglers, and when he thought of the menace he said to himself, "'No, no, if I don't do what I ought, these fellows will only say that I was afraid.' Having settled the matter in his own mind, he proceeded to execute his purpose with all speed, and hurried on towards Bilsington, where he knew there was a small party of dragoons, proposing to send off messengers immediately to the colonel of the regiment and to all the different posts around. It was pitch dark, so that he did not perceive the first houses of the hamlet till he was within a few yards of them, and all seemed still and quiet in the place. But, after having passed the lane leading to the church, Mole heard the stamping of some horse's feet, and the next instant a voice exclaimed, "'Stand! Who goes there?' "'A friend,' answered Mole. "'Where's the sergeant?' "'Here I am,' replied another voice. "'Who are you?' "'My name is Mole,' rejoined our friend, "'the chief officer of customs at Hythe. "'Oh, come along, Mr. Mole. "'You are just the man we want,' said the sergeant, "'advancing a step or two. "'Captain Irby is up here, "'and will be glad to speak with you.' "'Mole followed in silence, "'having indeed some occasion to set his thoughts in order.' and to recover his breath. About sixty or seventy yards farther on, a scene broke upon him, which somewhat surprised him, 
for instead of a dozen dragoons at the most, he perceived, on turning the corner of the next cottage, a body of at least seventy or eighty men, as well as he could calculate, standing each beside his horse, whose breath was seen mingling with the thick fog, by the light of a single lantern held close to the wall of the house, which concealed the party from the Bonington Road. Round that lantern were congregated three or four figures, besides that of the man who held it, and fronting the approach was a young gentleman, dressed in the usual costume of a dragoon officer of that period. Before him stood another, apparently a private of the regiment, and the light shone full upon the faces of both, showing a cold, thoughtful and inquiring look upon the countenance of the young officer, and anxious haste upon that of the inferior soldier. "'Here is Mr. Mole, the chief officer, Captain,' said the sergeant as they advanced. "'Ha! that is fortunate,' replied Captain Irby. "'Now we shall get the facts, I suppose. Well, Mr. Mole, what news?' "'Why, sir, the cargo is landed,' exclaimed Mole eagerly, "'and the smugglers passed by Bonington up towards Checker Tree not twenty minutes ago.' "'So this man says,' rejoined Captain Irby, "'not the least in the world in haste. "'Have you any fresh orders from the Colonel?' "'No, sir. He said all his orders were given when last I saw him,' "'replied the officer of customs. "'But if you move up quick towards Checker Tree, you are sure to overtake them.' "'How long is it since you saw Sir Henry?' demanded Captain Irby, without appearing to notice Mole's suggestion. "'Oh, several hours ago,' answered the custom-house agent, somewhat provoked at the young officer's coolness. "'I have been kept prisoner by the smugglers since ten o'clock, but that is nothing to the purpose, sir. If you would catch the smugglers, you have nothing for it but to move up to Checker Tree after them, and that is what I require you to do.' "'I have my orders,' answered the captain of the troop, with a smile at the impetuous tone of the custom-house officer, "'and if you bring me none later, those I shall obey, Mr. Mole.' "'Well, sir, you take the responsibility upon yourself, then,' said Mole. "'I have expressed my opinion and what I require at your hands.' "'The responsibility will rest where it ought,' replied Captain Irby, "'on the shoulders of him whom I am bound to obey.' For your opinion I am obliged to you, but it cannot be followed, and as to what you require, I am under superior authority, which supersedes your requisition. He then said a word or two to one of the men beside him, who immediately proceeded to the body of men behind. But all that Mole could hear was, Snave, and Brenzit, repeated once or twice, with some mention of Woodchurch, and the road by Red Brook Street. The order was then given to mount and march, and Mole remarked that four troopers rode off at a quick pace before the rest. "'Now, Mr. Mole, we shall want you with us, if you please,' said Captain Irby in a civil tone. "'Where is your horse?' "'Horse? I have got none,' answered the officer of customs, a good deal piqued. "'Did I not say that I have been a prisoner with the smugglers for the last five hours? And as to my going with you, sir—' I see no use I can be of if you do not choose to do what I require or follow my advice. Oh, the greatest, the greatest, replied the young officer, without losing his temper for an instant, and as to a horse we will soon supply you. An order was immediately given, and in three minutes the horse of a dragoon officer, fully caparisoned, was led up to Mould's side, who, after a moment's hesitation, mounted and rode on with the troop. It must not be denied that he was anything but satisfied, 
not alone because he thought that he was not treated with sufficient deference, although, having for years been accustomed to be obeyed implicitly by the small parties of dragoons which had been previously sent down to aid the customs, it did seem to him very strange that his opinions should go for naught, but also because he feared that the public service would suffer, and that the obstinacy, as he called it, of the young officer would enable the smugglers to escape. Still more was his anxiety and indignation raised when he perceived the slow pace at which the young officer proceeded, and that instead of taking the road which he had pointed out, the party kept the priory wood on the right hand, bearing away from Checkertree, to which he had assured himself that Richard Radford and his party were tending. He saw that many precautions were taken, however, which, attributing them at first to a design of guarding against surprise, he thought quite unnecessary. Two dragoons were thrown forward at a considerable distance before the head of the troop. A single private followed about twenty yards behind them. Two more succeeded, and then another, and last came Captain Irby himself, keeping Mr. Mole by his side. From time to time a word was passed down from those who led the advance, not shouted, but spoken in a tone only loud enough to be heard by the trooper immediately behind, and this word, for a considerable way, was merely, all clear. At length, just at the end of the Priory Wood, where a path coming from the east branched off towards Aldington Freight, and two roads went away to the north and west, the order to halt was given, to the surprise and consternation of Mr. Mole, who conceived that the escape of the smugglers must be an inevitable result. At length a new word was passed from the head of the line, which was, On before! But still the captain of the troop gave no command to march, and the soldiers sat idle on their horses for a quarter of an hour longer. Mole calculated that it must now be at least half-past four or five o'clock. He thought he perceived the approach of day, and though in discontented silence he ventured to say no more, he would have given all he had in the world to have had the command of the troop for a couple of hours. His suspense and anxiety were brought to an end at length, for just as he was assured by the greyness of the sky that the sun would soon rise, a trooper came dashing down the right-hand path at full speed, and Captain Irby spurred on to meet him. What passed between them Mole could not hear, but the message was soon delivered, the soldier rode back to the east, by the way he came, and the order to march was immediately given. Instead, however, of taking the road to Stonecross, the troop directed its course to the west, but at a somewhat quicker pace than before. Still a word was passed back from the head of the line, and after a short time the troop was put into a quick trot, Captain Irby sometimes endeavouring to lead his companion into general conversation upon any indifferent subject, but not once alluding to the expedition on which they were engaged. Poor Mole was too anxious to talk much. He did not at all comprehend the plan upon which the young officer was acting, but yet he began to see that there was some plan in operation, and he repeated to himself more than once, "'There must be something in it, that's clear,' but he might as well tell me what it is, I think. At length he turned frankly round to his companion and said, I see you are going upon some scheme, Captain. I wish to heaven you would tell me what it is, for you can't imagine how anxious I am about this affair. My good friend, replied Captain Irby, I know no more of the matter than you do, so I can tell you nothing about it. I am acting under orders, and the only difference between you and I 
is that you, not being accustomed to do so, are always puzzling yourself to know what it all means, while I, being well drilled to such things, do not trouble my head about it, but do as I am told, quite sure that it will all go right. Heaven send it, answered Mole, but here is broad daylight and we seem to be going farther and farther from our object every minute. As if in answer to his last observation, the word was again passed down from the front, on before, and Captain Irby immediately halted his troop for about five minutes. At the end of that time the march was resumed, and shortly after the whole body issued out upon the side of one of the hills, a few miles from Woodchurch. The sun was now just risen, the east was glowing with all the hues of early day, the mist was dispersed or left behind in the neighbourhood of the marsh, and a magnificent scene all filled with golden light spread out beneath the eyes of the custom-house officer but he had other objects to contemplate much more interesting to him than the beauties of the landscape. About three-quarters of a mile in advance, and in the low ground to the north-west of the hill on which he stood, appeared a dark, confused mass of men and horses, apparently directing their course towards Tiffenden, and Mole's practised eye instantly perceived that they were the smugglers. At first sight, he thought, they may escape us yet but following the direction in which Captain Irby's glance was turned, he saw further on, in the open fields towards High Holden, a considerable body of horse, whose regular line at once showed them to be a party of the military. Then, turning towards the little place on his left, called Cuckoo Point, he perceived at the distance of about a mile another troop of dragoons, who must have marched, he thought, from Brenzit and Appledore. The smugglers seemed to become aware, nearly at the same moment, of the presence of the troops on the side of High Holden, for they were observed to halt, to pause for a minute or two, then retread their steps for a short distance, and take their way over the side of the hill, as if tending towards Plurendon and Little Ingham. "'You should cut them off, sir, you should cut them off,' cried Mole, addressing Captain Irby, "'or by Jove they'll be over the hill above Brook Street.' "'and then we shall never catch them "'amongst all the woods and copses up there. "'They'll escape to a certainty.' "'I think not, if I know my man,' "'answered Captain Irby coolly. "'And at all events, Mr. Mole, "'I must obey my orders. "'But there he comes over the hill, "'so that matter's settled. "'Now let them get out if they can. "'You have heard of a rat-trap, Mr. Mole.' "'Mole turned his eyes in the direction of an opposite hill, "'about three-quarters of a mile distant from the spot where he himself stood, "'and there, coming up at a rapid pace, appeared an officer in a plain grey cloak, "'with two or three others in full regimentals round him, "'while a larger body of cavalry than any he had yet seen met his eyes, "'following their commander about fifty yards behind "'and gradually crowning the summit of the rise where they halted.' The smugglers could not be at more than a half a mile's distance from this party, and the moment that it appeared the troops from the side of High Holden and from Cuckoo Point began to advance at a quick trot, while Captain Irby descended into the lower ground more slowly, watching, with a small glass that he carried in his hand, the motions of all the other bodies, when the view was not cut off by the hedgerows and copses, as his position altered. Mole kept his eyes upon the body of smugglers, and upon the dragoons on the opposite hill, and he soon perceived a trooper ride down from the latter group to the former, as if bearing them some message. 
The next instant there was a flash or two, as if the smugglers had fired upon the soldier sent to them, and then retreating slowly towards a large white house with some gardens and shrubberies and various outbuildings around it, they manifested a design of occupying the grounds with the intention of their resisting the attack of the cavalry. A trooper instantly galloped down at full speed towards Captain Irby, making him a sign with his hand as he came near, and the troop with whom Mole had advanced instantly received the command to charge, while the other, from the hill, came dashing down with headlong speed towards the confused multitude below. The smugglers were too late in their manoeuvre. Embarrassed with a large quantity of goods and a number of men on foot, they had not time to reach the shelter of the garden walls before the party of dragoons from the hill was amongst them. But still they resisted with fierce determination, formed with some degree of order, gave the troopers a sharp discharge of firearms as they came near, and fought hand to hand with them, even after being broken by their charge. The greater distance which Captain Irby had to advance prevented his troop from reaching the scene of strife for a minute or two after the others, but their arrival spread panic and confusion amongst the adverse party, and after a brief and unsuccessful struggle, in the course of which one of the dragoons was killed and a considerable number wounded, nothing was thought of amongst young Radford's band but how to escape in the presence of such a force. The goods were abandoned, all those men who had horses were seen galloping over the country in different directions, and if any fugitive paused, it was but to turn and fire a shot at one of the dragoons in pursuit. Almost every one of the men on foot was taken ere half an hour was over, and a number of those on horseback were caught and brought back, some desperately wounded. Several were left dead, or dying, on the spot where the first encounter had taken place, and amongst the former, Mole, with feelings of deep regret, almost approaching remorse, beheld, as he rode up towards the colonel of the regiment, the body of his friend, the major, shot through the head by a pistol-ball. Men of the custom-house officer's character, however, soon consoled themselves for such things, and Mole, as he rode on, thought to himself, "'After all, it's just as well. He would only have been hanged, so he's had an easier death.' The young officer in the command of the regiment of dragoons was seated on horseback upon the top of a little knoll with some six or seven persons immediately around him, while two groups of soldiers dismounted and guarding a number of prisoners appeared a little in advance. Amongst those nearest to the colonel, Mole remarked his companion, Birchett, who was pointing with a discharged pistol across the country and saying, "'There he goes, sir, there he goes. I'll swear that is he.' "'on the strong grey horse. "'I fired at him. "'I'm sure I must have hit him.' "'No, you didn't, sir,' answered a sergeant of dragoons, "'who was busily tying a handkerchief round his own wounded arm. "'Your shot went through his hat.' "'The young officer fixed his eyes keenly upon the road leading to Harborne, "'where a man on horseback was seen galloping away at full speed, "'with four or five of the soldiers in pursuit.' "'Away after him, Sergeant Miles,' he said. "'Take straight across the country with six men of Captain Irby's troop. "'They are fresher. "'If you make haste, you will cut him off at the corner of the wood, "'or if he takes the road through it in order to avoid you, "'leave a couple of men at Tiffenden Corner "'and round by the path to the left. "'The distance will be shorter for you, "'and you will stop him at Mrs. Clare's cottage, "'a hundred guineas to anyone who brings him in.' His orders were immediately obeyed, and without noticing Mole or anyone else, 
the colonel continued to gaze after the little party of dragoons as, dashing on at the utmost speed of their horses, they crossed an open part of the ground in front, keeping to the right hand of the fugitive, and threatening to cut him off from the north side of the country, towards which he was decidedly tending. Whether, if he had been able to proceed at the same rate at which he was then going, they would have been successful in their efforts or not, is difficult to say, for his horse, though tired, was very powerful, and chosen expressly for its fleetness. But in a flight and pursuit like that, the slightest accident will throw the advantage on the one side or the other, and, unfortunately for the fugitive, his horse stumbled and came upon its knees. It was up again in a moment and went on, though somewhat more slowly, and the young officer observed in a low tone, "'They will have him. It is of the utmost importance that he should be taken.' "'Ah, Mr. Mole, is that you? Why, we have given you up for these many hours.' We have been successful, you see, and yet but half successful either, if their leader gets away. You are sure of the person, Mr. Birchett? Perfectly, sir, answered the officer of customs. I was as near to him at one time as I am now to you, and Mr. Mole here, too, will tell you I know him well. Who, young Radford? asked Mole. Oh, yes, that we all do, and besides, I can tell you, that is he on the grey horse, for I was along with him the greater part of last night and Mole proceeded to relate succinctly all that had occurred to him from ten o'clock on the preceding evening. The young officer, in the meanwhile, continued to follow the soldiers with his eyes, commenting by a brief word or two on the various turns taken by their pursuit. "'He is cut off,' he said in a tone of satisfaction. "'The troops from Holden will stop him there. He is turning to the left, as if he would make for Tenterton. Captain Irby, be so good as to detach a corporal with as many men as you can spare to cut him off by gallows green on the left-hand road there bid them use all speed now he's for harborne again he'll try to get through the wood but miles will be before him he then applied himself to examine the state of his own men and the prisoners and paid every humane attention to both doing the best that he could for their wounds in the absence of surgical assistance and ordering carts to be procured from the neighbouring farms to carry those most severely injured into the village of Woodchurch. The smuggled goods he consigned to the charge of the custom-house officers, giving them, however, a strong escort at their express desire, although he justly observed that there was but little chance of any attempt being made by the smugglers to recover what they had lost. "'I shall now, Mr. Mole,' he continued, "'proceed to Woodchurch and remain there for a time "'to see what other prisoners are brought in, "'and make any further arrangements that may be necessary. "'But I shall be in Hythe in all probability before night. "'The custody of the prisoners I shall take upon myself for the present, "'as the civil power is evidently not capable of guarding them.' "'Well, sir, you have made a glorious day's work of it,' answered Mole. "'That I must say.' and I'm sure if you like to establish your quarters for the morning at Mr. Croyland's there, or just before, he will make you heartily welcome, for he hates smugglers as much as anyone. The young officer shook his head, saying, No, I will go to Woodchurch. But he gazed earnestly at the house for several minutes before he turned his horse towards the village, and then, leaving the minor arrangements to be made by the inferior officers, he rode slowly and silently away. End of chapter 8